What's up, dudes? What's up, dudettes? It's the Casey's Corner Podcast broadcasting live on this Saturday, June the 13th. Uh, we are one week away from my 33rd birthday, so that's an exciting time in the Just Claire household. Um, we are getting closer to Father's Day. We're getting closer to the resumption of some of our major sports leagues. High school sports have resumed in terms of their athletic seasons. We'll talk about that. Uh, Central Lafouche has a new football coach. We'll talk about that. We'll give a COVID update. We've got a sports Q&A. We've got a loaded show coming your way. We've got Tim Rebo coming in the next segment. He talked to us about some of the things that Nichols football is doing to stay ahead of the pandemic. Talked to us openly about uh, social justice and you know police reform and some of the things that he's doing. And obviously a college football coach, you know, he working with a population that is very heavily African-American and Nichols football is, you know, trying to pay attention and study some of the things going on in the world and get right. So we talked to Coach Rebo about the 2020 season and also some of the things going on in the world. We'll detail that in the next segment. Um, in the third segment, we're going to shift away from sports here. This is a sports podcast by and large. But one thing that people who like sports like is drinking alcohol, quite frankly. And we'll have Noah Lee Rett with Bayou Terrebonne Distillers on. Noah talked to us about his business, his facility, some of the things that go into making whiskey. Very entertaining interview. We talked to him yesterday. It was a great interview. We thanked him so much for his time. So we'll bring you that in the third segment. But we're going to lead off with a sports update. Um, there are some things going on in the world of sports right now that are worth talking about. So we lead off out in Matthews where Central Lafouche has a new football coach. Aaron Meyer from White Castle comes in. Uh, he was the new hire to replace Keith Menard. Um, by the way, if you hear the buzzing in the background, my neighbors are cutting the grass. Uh, so I apologize in advance for that. But I don't like recording these inside. I like being able to be outside in the elements, in the fresh air. So if you hear birds chirping, if you hear lawnmowers going off, bear with us. It's part of summertime in Louisiana. But Aaron Meyer is the new Central Lafouche football coach. Um, young guy, 34 years old. So he's two years younger or two years older than me, um, but decorated for his youth. Um, he has been a head coach now for three seasons. He was at White Castle. Uh, now he's obviously going over to Central Lafouche. And um, like this is not just the run of the mill young coach. Like he's already been to the dome. He took. White Castle to the state championship game last season. Um, so Coach Meyer has a big plan, and he wants to turn Central Lafouche football into a perennial contender. Spoke to him, did a story on him, just interviewed him on the radio show a couple minutes ago. He's excited. We're going to have him on the podcast here in the next couple of episodes. Um, but kudos to Central Lafouche for you know getting a guy who I think is going to have uh, staying power. I, I think that Coach Meyer would be in a position where he could stay at Central Lafouche for quite some time, help build that program, help turn it into a perennial success. Um, I've been open here on this show in saying, and I don't back away from those statements, I think Central Lafouche is a hard job. I think it's one of the most difficult jobs in the entire state of Louisiana. Um, you've got to consistently be better than Hanville, Destrehan, East St. John, Thibodeau, and Terrebonne. And that's not an easy thing to do. And that's five games on your schedule. So, you know, to make the playoffs, you better be really good to combat your schedule and then also the rest of the teams in 5A. So Coach Meyer will step into that position. He's got a winning pedigree. He uh, left White Castle. 
after you know, you know finishing as a state runner-up. He's going to bring a, a spread offense, but it's going to be a very run-heavy spread offense. Coach Meyer is a former offensive lineman, so he's got you know big plans and big visions, and kudos to the Central Lafourche administration for bringing him on. And we look forward to seeing what he could do in the future with that team. I think that uh, he's in a tough spot, as are a lot of the other programs in the state, and especially in the local area. Um, but if everybody has a first-year coach, then you know nobody's at a real disadvantage. And it feels like this coming season, everybody has a first-year coach, and everybody's kind of been quarantined and locked out. So um, we're awfully curious to see how that's all going to shake out. But kudos to Coach Meyer. Congratulations to Coach Meyer. And we look forward to having him on at a later episode. Very quickly, we're going to talk some PGA Tour. Um, I gave some picks here on the PGA Tour uh, tournament, and uh, they're not doing so good. So I'm going to kind of brag on myself or tease myself, make fun of myself, and then talk about some of the action there. Then we'll talk some AEW, and then we'll get to your questions. Um, I told you guys that my uh, shark this week in the Charles Schwab challenge was Dustin Johnson. Well, Dustin Johnson did not make the cut. <laughs> I went on and on about how Dustin Johnson was, you know, the best thing since sliced bread and how he could hit the ball a mile and he would have to play poorly and this, that, and the other. Well, he did play poorly and he didn't make the cut. He's not playing the weekend. Um, the rest of my picks did okay, I guess. Um, I picked Tony Finau to win the tournament. He's tied for 21st. Uh, he's only a handful of shots back from the lead. I picked Kevin Kissner as a sleeper. He's tied for 32nd. Um, anyone who knows that picking, you know, that, that picking golf is the ultimate crapshoot, but I probably got a D minus on this one. I didn't do a great job making my picks this week, so I apologize for that. Anybody who was looking for, you know, me to make them some money on the PGA Tour this week, I probably failed you. But I got a, a sneak peek at some of the NFL-related questions. Um, so I'm going to hopefully make some of that money back because you guys were asking me about football betting. Over on the PGA Tour, Hald Warner leads right now 12 under par. He's got a two-shot lead. This is very early Saturday. By the time you listen to this, this leaderboard will be 100% different. But the reason why I bring it up is, uh, my God, if you're a golf fan, loaded, loaded leaderboard. Harold Warner got the storylines. He's an African-American at the time of you know, all the craziness in the world. What a story that would be if he could win the PGA's first uh, tournament back. But Justin Rose, Justin Thomas, Jan DeShoffley, Rory McIlroy, Bryson DeChambeau, those are all the guys in second place. Jordan Spieth is in that group. Patrick Reed a couple of shots back. All of the big names, quite frankly, except for Dustin Johnson, uh, performed beautifully, and they're all near the leaderboard. So we've got a great opportunity here to see some wonderful golf on the weekend. And um, quite frankly, you can't beat that with a stick, man. I know I'm going to be looking forward to heading in after recording this and going to watch the third round and then, you know, watching some of the final round tomorrow should be a treat. It's great to have sports back on TV. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down the latest episode of AEW Dynamite. I've been trying to get into AEW a little more. People have been railroading me and saying that, you know, I, um, I'm too hard on AEW and I'm not giving it a fair shake and... Um, a lot of the things I criticize, I think that I'm right on, but I have been watching it cover to cover, bell to bell, so to speak, and getting more in tune with the, the storylines and everything like that. So I'm going to break down the show. Um, first match, we had the Butcher and the Blade versus FTR. FTR, of course, is the WWE imported tag team. Um, 
Uh, they faced Butcher and the Blade, which I was not familiar with coming in. Um, I thought, here's what I thought, and this is going to be both a good and a bad review. Um, I thought the match was great. I, I did. I thought that FTR looked good. Um, I thought Butcher and the Blade for a team that I was not uh, you know, aware of what they could do. I thought they impressed me very much so. Um, now, one thing that I will say is I thought that the booking in this match was not good. And here's what I mean by that is I thought that um, for a team that you're billing and kind of giving away as your next tag team champions, um, they shouldn't be struggling with a jobber tag team in their first match. They shouldn't be working 15 minutes of hard wrestling. That should have been short, quick, you know, maybe sell and give a little bit of offense to the other team. But that shouldn't have been as much of a struggle as it was. Um, I thought, you know, the, the segment after the match where Kenny Omega and Adam Page came out and confronted FTR, you know, I thought that was all cool. But I just thought it was too much of a struggle um, unnecessarily. I mean, these guys are your future champs. Your next big thing uh, shouldn't have been that difficult. Uh, so I'll give that match, you know, kind of a lower rating than what most other people would. Chris Statlander and Hikura, uh, excuse me, Hikuru Shida versus Penelope Ford and Nyla Rose. This was a women's match. Nyla Rose is incredible. Nyla Rose is everything that Nia Jax is not. Big monster, but could work. Athletic, fierce, uh, competitive, uh, has charisma. That match was one of the bright spots of the card to me just because of Nia, uh, Nyla Rose. She's, she's wonderful. She deserves to be in the WWE. Best friends in Orange Cassidy versus Proud and Powerful and Jake Hager. Um, the Chris Jericho inner circle thing is awesome. Chris Jericho is the most over wrestler in the world. He is still, at almost 50 years old, the best wrestler in the world. So... Uh, everything that they do is awesome. He was on commentary. That was awesome. Um, Orange Cassidy is incredible. He's slippery. He's elusive. He's a great in-ring performer. Uh, the way that this went down um, with, with Orange Cassidy's team scoring the victory I thought was wonderful. Um, but the, the aftermath with you know the, the inner circle beating the tar out of the baby faces and beating them with oranges and Chris Jericho, you know, going nuts. I thought that that was um, great. Chris Jericho is great. He is he is an exceptional performer. Even at his advanced age, he is still the best in the world. Everything he does gets over. It was great to see, and that was the highlight of the show without question. Fourth match, Sammy Guevara versus Colt Cabana. Colt Cabana could, could rock, man. Sammy Guevara is, is a good performer as well. This was a solid match. Just not a, not a whole lot of name recognition, not a whole lot of star power in this match. Good in-ring competition, but not a whole lot of name recognition. The Colt Cabana thing where they're trying to bring him into the dark side or whatever, that's, that's somewhat interesting, but just didn't do a whole lot for me. The TNT Championship match, Cody versus Mark, Ken, um, Mark Quinn. Sorry, uh, Mark Quinn, I apologize. He, um, This was a good match. Uh, Cody put on a good show again. Mark Quinn held his own beautifully in this match. Um but again, I have that, that same little thing with Cody, whereas how is he going to continue to, like at some point you reach a limit, and he continues to elevate and elevate and elevate and elevate, and at some point all you could do is go down. Um, so from what I've seen so far, yeah, it's all been great. But, man, uh, so many high spots, so many false finishes, and 
at some point there's got to be a regression or else you're going to physically be jumping off of a cliff in a match and it won't be safe to perform anymore um but i like the tnt championship and all in all i thought this episode of dynamite was better than the last one um i gave it seven out of ten uh last week i gave it five and a half out of ten i thought this was a pretty good show um and i would compare this to an average episode of raw or whatever it may be but a couple like there's still some some odd quirks here like there's still matt hardy man matt hardy's old and stale um billy gunn will be wrestling on the next episode no one wants to see that dustin rhodes is still part of that show no one wants to see that um like you've only got two hours of tv a week you've got too many old guys competing too many guys that we don't know about competing and until you fix that you're not going to be at the level that you need to be to compete with the wwe though it's early man it's early they've still got plenty of time to get this situated they're you know hardly a year old so i'm going to get your questions then we'll take a commercial break uh if you want to send us a question just clear uh kc at gmail.com or kc underscore just clear on twitter find me on facebook social media whatever i'm easy to find question one are you concerned with some of the drama involving nba players about having the quarantine in orlando the answer is resoundingly no i'm not concerned um kyrie irving is the one leading the march kyrie irving is a moron um i don't think he's going to get any support kyrie irving thinks the world is flat and quite frankly i if kyrie irving doesn't want to play he should do what he does every other postseason and just fake an injury and then sit out the entire postseason so no i'm not concerned uh the, his logic is off center his logic is well you know why are we having to perform and you know it's it, why are we being quarantined and he's he's referencing uh you know black lives matter and and you know discrimination and austin rivers replied beautifully to the, that you know that insane logic is yeah, you know what hurts uh, equality and, 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 and hurts, you know, advancing the end to discrimination? Paying black entertainers a lot of money. That, that's ridiculous. Kyrie's argument is, is insane, doesn't make sense, um, ill thought out, but from a guy who has proven himself to be a buffoon many times in the past, I'm not surprised to hear it coming from his voice. Um, but any plan that is going to involve paying predominantly African-American athletes lots of money so that they could then use that money to pay for you know, programs that will enact change, that's good. Having sports is good. And on the flip side, the NBA has a more urbanized fan base. So you're going to be entertaining and, and spreading your message to the audience you're trying to reach. So the idea that they would be doing more harm than good by playing is stupidity. Um, so I don't, you know, Kyrie Irving's team is not going to be in the playoffs for more than a couple of days anyway. So, man, just, just go and play basketball and then go home and, and not win a championship. You're pretty good at doing that. Second, what is the most fulfilling story you've ever written as a professional journalist? Um, there are, oh, man, let's see. There are, uh, one comes to mind immediately. Um, I'll go with two. Um, the first one is a story I did way back in the day for the times back when i actually enjoyed working for the Times, so you know that was a long time ago um it was a story um about kennedy mckinney who was a gold medalist in the olympics world champion boxer um who had kind of fallen on hard times and was training boxers in a boxing gym in golden medal louisiana down here kennedy's got an amazing story 
sat outside of a, a work office and talked to him for about an hour, um, deciphered through, you know, all the F-bombs and all the foul language, and we, we pieced together a wonderful story, an award-winning story, a story that won Louisiana Press Association Awards for being the best sports story of the year. Um, kudos to my buddies Damien and Nick and all those guys for allowing me the opportunity to do that interview and get that story. Um, so that one was great. Um, then second, uh, we did a lot of work on the Trevor Toops situation. Trevor Toops was a young student athlete at South Lafouche High School who during his ninth grade football season got injured in a freak accident at practice. And like it went from, you know, Trevor being 100% healthy to Trevor being in a fight for his life, like in an instant. Um, Trevor was hospitalized for many, many days and had brain injury and they had to, you know, remove the crown of his skull and everything to allow for the inflammation to go down. And we did a lot of work leading up to the, the incident uh, to inform people of what happened. And then we did a lot of work detailing his recovery. Um, and, you know, for a kid who was under such duress and who was in a fight for his life, he recovered so quickly. Um, it was, you know, truly one of those miracle things that people are not going to forget here for a long time. So I would go Kennedy McKinney, and then I would go Trevor Tubes. Those are two of the more memorable stories that I've written. And there's been a bunch, man. I'm sure I'm forgetting some along the way. Three, I already answered this one. Who's the most over person in professional wrestling today? Chris Jericho by a mile. Um, no one in WWE could rival the level of heat that Chris Jericho is generating right now in AEW. Um, and just look at his time in WWE. Like when he was in WWE, the, you know, the, the list was over. The word it was over. Um, everything the guy does touches, everything the guy touches turns to gold. Um, so no one, I mean, there are better in-ring performers. There are better, you know, guys at technical wrestling. But there's no one better at generating heat, and that's what makes you over. So Chris Jericho's the answer to me. And like I said, I don't think there's a close second right now. Number four, if you could trade skill sets with any athlete in the world for a day, who would it be? This is an easy one for me. Um, you know, I could, I could go to an NBA gym right now and make a three-pointer, which is what Steph Curry does. I could go to a, you know, the Superdome and catch a pass from Drew Brees in the back of the end zone, which is what Michael Thomas does. Um, Never in my life have I hit a driver 350 yards straight as an arrow. Never in my life have I hit a, you know, nine iron 170 yards. Never have I been able to shape a shot right to left, left to right, you know, low trajectory, high trajectory, all the control that Tiger Woods has over his golf game. My answer would be Tiger Woods, just because with as much golf as I play and as bad at the game as I am, to have the ability to just one day experience that level of dominance, that level of control over your swing, that level of control over your ability to play, that level of mental control over your opponents, that's something that I would love to experience. Um, so I, my answer would be Tiger Woods. Number five, why is our area slept on in recruiting? I hate this argument. And I don't mean to disrespect your question, but our area is not slept on in recruiting. Our student athletes sleep on themselves by not doing the things in the classroom that they need to do to be eligible to be recruited. Some of the best student athletes that have come through this area were not able to go to the next level because they didn't qualify academically, because they didn't have the core grades, they didn't have the ACT score, they didn't have the GPA. Um, if you've got all of those things, they're going to find you. Mason Smith is a five-star prospect. 
Ja'Kai Douglas was a four-star prospect. Karen Lacey, three, four-star prospect. Greg Robinson, four or five-star prospect, depending on the recruiting service that you use. If you could play, they're going to find you. But guess what? They're not going to look at you if they show up at school, look at your transcript, and your transcript says you're never going to qualify to get in. How many guys in this area do I go to their scholarship signings and they're going to a junior college? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because it's an opportunity for you to fulfill your education. But the term junior college means 99 times out of 100 that you are not academically able to go to the four-year university, which means that instead of going to Nichols or instead of going to UL Lafayette or instead of going to LSU or Alabama, you're going to blend for two years, which puts you at greater risk to get injured, which puts you at greater risk to be lost in the shuffle. So I don't believe for a second that our area is slept on. There's a lot of talent. Yes, there is. And kudos to guys like Ernest Harvey and you know all the guys who are molding and mentoring that talent and are trying to you know foster the growth in that talent. And I think we're in a better place now than what we were 10 years ago when I first started in the area in terms of mentoring these young men and women. But there's still far too many who are not doing the work in the classroom. So therefore, they're sleeping on themselves and they're not allowing themselves the opportunity to do the things that they think they're capable of doing. Um, you could be as talented in the as you want to be. You could be able to throw a football 70 yards. You could run a 4-3-40. It all doesn't matter if you can't get the ACT score to get into the four-year university that you're choosing to get into. And until we put a greater emphasis on classroom learning for our young men and women, then we're going to see more and more people get quote-unquote slept on and fall through the cracks. And that's just the reality of the situation. It's not anybody's fault but the student-athletes and then our culture in this area as well. Number six, I'm going to Mississippi this week. Give me a few over and under NFL lines to play while there. Um, a couple of them that I like. Um, let's see what we have here. Uh, pull up the full list. I like... I like Buffalo Bills over nine. I think Josh Allen with another season is going to mature. The Patriots not being too sure losses is going to help the Bills. The rest of that division being a mess. The Jets aren't any good. The Dolphins aren't any good. I like the Bills over nine. Um, let's see what else. I, I like, um, hell, I, and this is my own team, so maybe I sound biased. I like the Cowboys over nine and a half. Um, I think that they got better this offseason. In by default, by not having Jason Garrett anymore, they got better. I think they made their roster slightly better. Um, so I, I like the Cowboys nine and a half over. Um, under nine for the Rams, big time. I like. You lose Ty Gurley. Jared Goff's not any good. Your roster is 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 hemorrhaging money. I think the Rams under nine is probably the easiest money in the NFL. Um, under six and a half for the Giants. Who do the Giants have that's any good? Like, yeah, they got Saquon Barkley, congratulations, but you got to be able to complete a pass on third and five to win games in the NFL. I'm not sure that Daniel Jones is that guy. I don't like their weapons on the outside. So those are some that I like. Um, I think Tampa Bay, nine and a half, that's one that a lot of folks are playing, but I would kind of stay away. Uh, I'm very nervous about that. Um, I'll try to give you one more. Let me go up and down the list one more time. Let's see. I like Broncos over seven and a half. I think the Broncos are getting better. I think that they're a team that can maybe make a leap forward. So those would be my picks for the NFL if you're going to Vegas. The season's still miles away, uh, but those would be my picks. Last question. Um, oh, I like this one. Number seven, do you plan to buy a PlayStation 5? 
I initially my answer would have probably been no at least not right away because of the cost and everything involved but after watching some of the trailers this week um, and seeing the realism and like man it looks like it looks like real life it, it's, it's ridiculous the, the graphics and the enhancement I'm probably going to be one of the fools that are going to dive in head first whenever that thing comes out um, I'm probably going to be one of the fools that's going to make that leap and that's going to buy that console at that lofty price, knowing good well that if I would just wait 90 days, the price would probably go down by 30%. Um, but I'm a video game nerd. I've been one my entire life. So I'm probably going to be one of those guys that'll be in that number that'll be fighting on Black Friday and getting the PlayStation 5. Um, I know that there are limited consoles and limited games that are going to be released. But I like that you could still play your PlayStation 4 games and you could go back and, you know, do all that stuff. So I'm probably going to be in that number and making that purchase. I want to thank everybody for your questions. Find this on iTunes. Search Casey's Corner on iTunes. Um, we're going to catch a quick commercial break when we get back. Tim Rebo, Nickel State University football coach, joined us. Great interview. You guys are going to want to tune in. This is Casey's Corner podcast on thefushgazette.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hi, I'm James Cantrell. I'm running for state representative of District 54. I'm not a politician. I'm a businessman and a problem solver. I'm running for state representative because I want to provide solutions to the many problems the great state of Louisiana is facing today. Speaking from experience, this bayou and its people mean so much to me. I was born and raised here. It is heartbreaking to see our businesses closed from the tanking of our national, state, and local economies to our shrimpers, teachers, oil and gas workers, and every industry in between. We need a representative working for a better future for everybody. I believe that together we can revive Louisiana. I humbly ask for your support for State Representative of District 54 on July 11th. Together, we can create a strong future for our Louisiana. This is a special election. Early voting starts June 20th and lasts for two weeks. Remember to vote James Cantrell, number 264, Courage, Strength, Loyalty. Paid for by the James Cantrell Campaign Fund. Corner podcast here on LafougeGazette.com. Joining us now on the phone lines, Nickel State University head football coach Tim Rebo. Coach Rebo, how are you today, my friend? Casey, man, doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Um, busy time for you guys. Been been getting back at it and, and getting some conditioning in before the season. And I know we've had a lot of the high school coaches on in the last couple of days, and they've been telling us how things are going on their end. So I'm going to ask you, how are things going up in Thibodeau with the, the Colonel's football team? Well, if, if you could see through uh, the phone and through this podcast that I'm smiling from ear to ear, <laughs> uh, I think just like a lot of people, you know, we all talk about the new normal and trying to get back to some of the things that we had. Uh, and it just was really good just to see our players and have that face-to-face look and uh, the interaction that we're having with them, just seeing them walking down the hall to go to the locker room and get dressed. And uh, I don't know who's more – they're very excited to be back. You know, uh, they were locked up for three months and, you know, took something away from them that, that they love to do and working out and playing ball. So just to have those guys back, we're all very, very excited. Some of the high school coaches tell us, you know, hey – we were pleased to see that our kids were in pretty good shape. Others are telling us, you know, hey, maybe our guys were a little bit behind where we hoped they would be. 
How was it for you guys? I mean, I know you guys had you know laid out a couple of things for them to do. Were you were you pleased with where the guys reported? I, I think that the statement you made about some pleased and not pleased, I think we're somewhere right in the middle. Uh, if I was leaning a little bit more towards the the pleased and guys coming back, um, I, you know, we try to treat it like you know we have breaks between the semesters uh, where the guys go home in December and they get to go home with the workout packet. We have a break that they go home at the end of spring ball before the summer. And I think it's pretty typical, Casey, that you have guys, uh, you know, the guys who are truly committed are, are going to work out and going to do. Uh, and, and you're going to have some that's just going to probably do the minimum. And then you have some that's going to push it and wait to the last minute. So uh, I, I am pleased with the guys that have come back. But I also say uh, Coach Greg Carasquillo, our head strength coach, does a fantastic job. Uh, where we're just, you know, not coming in uh, June 1st and saying, hey, let's get it all back in a week. You know, we missed three months. Let's just throw it out. And, you know, he's done a good job. We have a good plan of slowly working him back uh, and, and taking a week in the, in the running and getting some soreness out of him. So I think we have a good plan in place. In terms of, you kind of touched on this a minute ago, you guys did miss three months and you missed all, of, you know, pretty much all of your spring um how do you kind of make up for lost time and how do you kind of get all that back? Because, I mean, yeah, on one hand, you'd like to have it all back. But on the other hand, everyone else kind of missed the same things, too. So how do you try to catch up but also not try to do too much? Yeah, I, I think the mindset has to be you're not going to get it back. And, and that you have to focus on the now and looking forward. You know, we can't sit back and say, hey, we got two days of spring practice. And, boy, I wish we'd have had those other 13 days, you know. Uh, it, it is what it is, and you you said it right. We're, we're not the only ones. It's not like we we missed those days, and other schools actually got them in. Uh, so I, I think when you approach it from that standpoint, let's move forward. Uh, yeah, I would like to have seen my quarterback to get in the rotation and get some live works. Uh, but they also uh, we talked about this earlier. They have some other schools that uh, had to put in whole new systems. They got a whole new staff, a whole new coordinators. Uh, you know, they, they missed, they, they're not going to get that back either. So if we just focus on the present and uh, let's, let's get it back in some of the walkthroughs that they're going to allow us to have in, uh, coming up soon, I think we'll be okay. In terms of, um, you know, grouping the kids together, are you going smaller groups? I know, like, what, what's the, the protocol that you guys are following in terms of how you're physically working them out? Well, there's so many things that's regulated. Uh, first of all, that, that starts off by, the governor, you know, it's handed down throughout the state, and then it, it, it trickles down to the president, to our to our university, and to our safety uh, manager on campus. So there are certain things that we can do. You're limited, you know, the size, the area that you're uh, working at indoors. And for us, it's also limited to the number of racks, uh, you know, in the weight room that you can have that you could put a player at. So, you know, you can't put more than one person to a rack. So we're limited with that. So actually the small groups is kind of helping, um, uh, you know, it's, it's strictly voluntary. They have to go in there, but you can't organize it to say, Hey, so we got them in groups of 10. So we have 10 that's working out on the field, doing running and stretching, uh, and then a group in the weight room. And then we do that on a rotation basis. So, uh, we get in between 50 and 60 guys a day, uh, that's getting to work in, in, in the morning. If, you know, God forbid, someone were to test positive, what, what then happens? What is Nichols State University's plan for if, you know, one of your student athletes comes down with the coronavirus? Well, we, we are doing temperature checks every day. We monitor those guys. We wear wristbands. we got a lot of protocol in place. 
to ensure the safety of our guys. And, you know, people don't realize e- even the little things, Casey, um, that, that we try to limit them passing each other in the halls. You go in one door, you go out the next. Uh, we wear in the mask. Uh, we say, actually, when they're running, you know, we have different, they have to have their own water jug, their own bottle, so guys are not drinking after each other. You know, those things are in place. So we're trying to do that. But uh, the, the main thing is if a guy does test, you know, we we'll, we will send them home, and then we got a, a plan in place for them to quarantine for 14 days uh, to stay away from the program uh, until those guys get better. Very good. And, and you know, Coach, I, I don't think it's going to come to this, but have you ever kind of thought in the back of your mind a little bit, you know, hey, if we got to play games and there's no fans in the stands, like just how different that would be? Because I, I, as a fan watching, and I'm thinking like, man, this would be completely different to me. Uh, as a coach, have you ever kind of thought about how different that would that would look and feel? Well, you know, I really don't want to. You know, I want to think the positive that things are going to happen and they are going to work <laughs> out. I think, I think to keep my sanity, I, I keep saying, look at the progress we've made, you know, in, in this amount of time and how every month it keeps getting better and better. And I keep saying, well, uh, you know, September the 5th is three months away. You know, we got some time and, and what it's going to look like. So um, it would be like a practice, I guess, you know, and sometimes my mind thinks and goes, hey, um, can you imagine playing Southeastern here, one of your big rivalry games, and nobody in the stands? And I think that would be very, very difficult uh, for us to do. And, you know, let's talk a little bit more about your team. Specifically, um, you guys are replacing a lot of guys at a lot of key positions. Um, but I know that you were very pleased with your, you know, incoming recruiting class and some of your underclassmen who are coming up through the ranks. So uh, the big question I've been asked by a lot of people is, you know, hey, Colonel's lost a lot of name players, so I'm going to ask you now to speak to the fan base. Who are some of those guys, or, or you know, that, that are going to be stepping into those, some of those key positions? I, I got to approach it this way, and I think one of the things that that keeps us going is, you know, when you're building a program, I think every year you, you're going to lose certain players, uh, and if you have guys that are ready to step up, it's time. They're a year older, uh, they're a little bit more mature, uh, ready to go and fill some big shoes. We also look at it this way. It's just like recruiting. Um, we always, people always want to ask you on signing day, did you get all the players that you wanted? Well, my thing is, I've always got the players that I wanted. I got to worry about the ones that I got, not the ones that I did not get. Yeah. So when we look at that, uh, it's, it's, look, I cannot replace a Chase 4K. I mean, he's a four year starter. Uh, Sully Lesh, you want to talk about the big names, Alan Pittman. Uh, guys that have been here and built this thing on the ground floor, you're never going to replace those guys. But it's time for some guys to step up and move forward. And you look at our core uh, of guys that we have coming back when you have an All-American uh, P.J. Burkhalter coming back, anchoring an offensive line. With a guys that played a lot of snaps last year, at one of the leading offenses in the conference, right? You got Dejon Dixon back. You got Julian Gums back. Uh, we're getting Don- Dante's costly back. Uh, we had some freshmen who had to step in and play last year, A.J. Franklin. Uh, so when you look at some of those guys, I, I really get excited about uh, where we're going to move to. And and I know the big question is going to be our quarterback spot. I mean, you talked about that. I got three quarterbacks who won the roster last year, very, very talented, and a fourth that we signed out of Edna Carr. Uh, and, and they're going to create some great competition. And I think we'll just be just fine uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, flip over to the defensive side when you start to look. And we played a bunch of guys. We 
We got some linebackers coming in. We got a couple transfer guys that's going to step in and have to play. But when you look at some guys that played for us uh, very, very young, a Glenn Thurman, a Perry Gancy, Elijah Reams, we got a Quindus Stop coming back at linebacker, Kevin Johnson, Kevin Moore, who was an all-conference in the secondary, Darren Evans. Uh, we got some guys that got some experience, uh, have won a bunch of games for us, know how to win, uh, and now it's time for those guys to uh, step up into some leadership roles. Coach, whenever you're going on the road and you're going to you know that high school in New Orleans or Baton Rouge or Lafayette, wherever it may be, Talk about how much easier it is to kind of get their attention now as opposed to four or five years ago. You've won a couple of conference championships. You've been to the you know the playoffs now the three years in a row. You guys have done so much. How much has that assisted you guys when you're physically going out and trying to attract these kids? You know, I think back. I, I, I was always proud of this place. I've all you know, having worked here before, I always knew it could be a special place. But it seemed like when when we first got here. Uh, and, and you would walk into a school, that logo on our chest, Casey, seemed like it was really, really small. Yeah. You know, where guys really didn't want to look. Uh, uh, maybe you were the last choice uh, where they were going to look at, at Nickel State University. Uh, it's a pretty good feeling. Now, we don't take this for granted, neither, but it's a pretty good feeling now that you can walk in, and now it's like a big, huge logo all across your shirt, right, that people are looking at. They understand they know the things that you've done. They know the, the kind of program that you're running. The coaches in the schools, you know, trust us with, with their athletes because they know how they're going to be treated. Uh, and then when you can show them the, the playoff appearances and the championship rings, uh, it can only help. And now to throw in the new facility, you know, that's being built right now in our end zone that's under construction that will be done uh, after the season's over. Uh, it's just a big win for, for Nickel State Athletics and uh, the whole Nickel State community. Very good. And you talked about your quarterbacks just a minute ago. Um, I've actually never asked you about this. Are you a guy who's opposed to playing two guys, or is there a situation where you or you, you, you maybe see a couple of guys in action, or are you more of a guy that likes to pick one and you know ride them through the entire season? I, I think it's all about winning. And, again, I think when you look back at what we had on the roster – uh, probably the last couple of years, and Chase being the incumbent, it, he was entrenched in there. You know, it was going to take a, a really, really monumental task to get him out of there. Uh, we are not opposed to playing, get some guys some playing time in it, if that's what it takes for us to be successful. And I think any one of those guys will tell you that. Hey, if I'm if I'm the guy and I'm the one that's winning, and by hand, we'll go with it. If I don't have it, it's time for maybe somebody to step in there. And I, I, I know, you know, quarterbacks sometimes don't like to hear that, you know, but when uh, they get under center, uh, there's a lot riding on those guys that they got to be stepped up and ready to produce. The facility upgrades, everything's still on schedule. I know, you know, with the COVID, the, the state economy isn't quite as good as it should be, uh, but is everything still on schedule with you guys? Everything is on schedule. It's kind of amazing uh, that that's really one of the things because all that money was already allocated, was always ready in place. So it was never a, a fact of the COVID uh, itself slowing it down. So uh, it was just getting getting the contract, uh, the, the bid and lining things up, getting that in place, and uh, everything is still right on schedule for us. Very good. And one thing you talked to us about on Saturday was um, – the continuity of your coaching staff and keeping that core group of guys together. And I'm going to ask you to you know, comment on the same thing here on to this audience is, man, a lot of folks, um, 
don't realize that that you guys have been able to, to keep that small group together and it's been able to you know really help you guys have some of the successes that you've had talk about you know that continuity and, and you talked about the players knowing the system well part of the reason why that has been in place is because the coaches have been the same talk about that yeah i don't think you can put a price tag on it having us all together um like we've been you know when you got both coordinated that's going on their sixth year here uh the guys here in the same system the same terminology the same words uh it, it, it's just invaluable to do that and i got the same offensive line coach who's been here and who's who knows his players and are tremendous coaches and that's one of the things too casey I, you know, we can say names. I, I can mention the six guys who have been with us uh, all these years, but all of our coaches are, are, are excellent teachers, and, and that's really what we are. You know, we're just uh, our teachers on the athletic fields is what we do. Uh, they do a great job of teaching and mentoring our guys, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just so proud. I, I think back and I look and say, hey, how, how do we keep guys here? You know, it, it's a testament to what we're doing uh, as a family. You know, we talk about family. We know how important it is. It's a testament to this entire community. These guys want to be here. You know, they love it around here. They love it going to Homer. They love it being in Chibodeau. They love it going out to eat, you know, down the bayou. All of those things play in a big factor of us, you know, staying together for so long. Uh, but on the flip side, we also talked about being complacent, right? Remember we had that conversation. Um, I think that's a big thing. Uh, our coaches are not getting complacent. No, we still have to change some things up to try to uh, – you have a different guy at running back now. You might have a different tight end. How are we going to get him involved uh, with some little tweaks and things, with some things that gave us some trouble? So uh, we, we got a good staff that works together on both sides of the ball. Um, interesting time in the world, you know, with, with some of the things going on in, involving, you know, the, the police and African-Americans. And I know Dr. Clune has changed the name of a couple of buildings on campus. Uh, have you spoken to your guys about some of those things? As I know that, you know, maybe some of them are perhaps feeling a little bit uneasy. Have you, have you spoken to your roster about that? Yes, absolutely. We have conversations and, you know, it, it's kind of crazy. I, we've always had some good conversation uh, as a, as a team about, you know, doing the right thing and representing and, and standing up for a cause, uh, which I think is very, very important. Uh, we, we've had some individual conversation. We had small group conversation. We are in a tough time. Everybody knows that. We talked about uh, being a family and how family goes through tough times, and, and, and you come out of it, and you got to stick together. Uh, we are aware of the situation. I told our guys I respect uh, anything that they support and want to do. I support, and I told them I have to listen, and I think we all have to listen. And it's time for us to be progressive and moving forward and make some change. Uh, and our guys really understand that. One thing that we do on this podcast um, is with the guests that we have on, we kind of ask them to go back into the past a little bit, especially with longtime coaches such as yourself. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. What is the most difficult loss you've ever had to endure as a coach? A difficult loss? Ooh, boy. I thought you were talking about a loss of a player or something at first. I was saying, Loss of a ball game. There have been a couple. I think um, as, as a head coach, uh, probably in our first season, uh, we lost a game at Stephen F. Austin when they, you know, we hadn't won in 22 straight games or something, and we lost uh, in the last minute and in the locker room and seeing those kids uh, face, man. That was, that was really, really hard. And if, probably if I went back to 
high school years when we lost the state championship uh, game in the Superdome to West Monroe. Uh, very, very difficult again uh, when, when your season uh, ends that way. And on the flip side of that, uh, is there any victory that, that stands out the most as, you know, you kind of sat back at night and was most fulfilled about that one over the others? Well, pr- probably the one uh, is one of the most recent is when you look at it, one of the craziest games we've ever been involved in is uh, how did we end up winning the game at Southeastern, <laughs> you know, for the for the conference championship where we, we snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. <laughs> you know how they say that. And, you know, but it, it's a testament. Our guys just persevered. They stayed in it. They believed. It was truly when you talk about playing for 60 minutes and believing in, in each other. Uh, that has to be one of the victories that go down. I'm telling you, that's crazy. Um, last question. Uh, one of the things that is most interesting, and you say this all the time, that, that recruiting is about building connections. Well, one of the things I want to ask you about is, you know, extreme local home of Thibodeau area. We've got a new coach at South Lafouche, Central Lafouche. You know, we've got a new coach at Ellender, at HL Bourgeois, Covenant Christian. Go out to the river. We've got a new coach at Hanville and at Destrahan. So talk about how... Yeah, it's one thing to make connections, but those connections are constantly evolving. Talk about the work and the legwork that your assistant coaches have to put in to keep boots on the ground at all those schools. Well, I, I think just like all relationships, uh, Casey, I can't say, oh, hey, I have a relationship with you, and then I don't work on continue to foster that relationship, right? If I just, you know, a couple times. So we're constantly working and trying to improve and trying to get to know them a little bit better. I think the good thing with about a bunch of our coaches being from around here and being here is we've crossed the paths of a lot of these coaches before, you know, when they were assistants and, you know, a Daniel Luquette who was from, you know, from at, from Destrahan, uh, went to Destrahan and then a coaching and was at Woodlawn, been knowing Daniel uh, uh, since he was, you know, a little kid, you know, so those type of things, uh, Marcus Scott, who's at Destrahan, who was who was on our staff you know so you have those you know keith menard you know he's switching just from one to the other you know when you start looking at those guys uh we've known a bunch of them still continue to know them uh still get still talk to them all the time welcome them to our place we we are always trying to enhance our relationships with these guys well coach i thank you so much for the time my friend and look forward to doing this again soon case anytime man thank you tell everybody Stay safe out there, and uh, we will win this battle. Yes, sir. Thank you, Coach. Great advice from Coach Rebo. We will win this battle. There's no doubt about that. Let's catch a quick commercial break when we get back. Noah Liret, he'll tell us how to make whiskey here on the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFouchegazette.com. Hey, guys. I know it's a commercial break, but it's me again. But I want to tell you guys a big secret. I know how you guys could get the news in LaFouche Parish, the hottest news, all the things that all your friends and all your family members are talking about first before everyone else. How? By getting the LaFouche Gazette app. Go to your app store, get the LaFouche Gazette app today. You'll get push notifications right to your phone anytime anything breaks, anytime anything exciting happens, anytime there's anything going on in LaFouche Paris that people are talking about, we're going to be talking about it and we're going to send it right to your phone. So go to the LaFouche Gazette app, find it on your app store today, Download it 100% free, 100% news, 100% local, 100% all the time. Download the LaFouche Gazette app today.
It's the KC's Corner Podcast here on LaFouchGazette.com. Joining us now, Noah Liret with the Bayou Terrebonne Distillers. Noah, how are you, my friend? Doing great, man. Beautiful day, make some whiskey. Absolutely, man. So one of the things that we wanted to ask you about is tell us about the uh, Bayou Terrebonne Distillers. What are some of the things you all do? What are you know some of the products that you offer? Um, very interesting business. So give us kind of the, the, the skinny on what you guys do. Yeah, man, uh, definitely an interesting business, business for us because it's a family tradition. So uh, we call ourselves a Marsh Roots Company, and our goal is to preserve a family tradition along with some of the culture and beauty of Bayou Terrebonne and the, and the uh, Bayou region. So our great-grandmother made moonshine and did a little addition on Bayou Terrebonne, which is what we call ourselves Bayou Terrebonne Distillers. Uh, so we're kind of keeping a little family tradition going. Me and my cousins actually started our little stint into making moonshine with her still, back in the day and they did that for about 10 years off and on and then when I know it was pretty good we decided to go ahead and go legit and uh we made it here uh, we're at the old Bloom and Badger on building on Main Street and uh we preserved that along with our family traditions so they kind of fell into place very good um and one of the things um that is most interesting about your you know th- this business and this line of work is the process like you know everybody sees the little mason jar full of liquor but there's a lot that goes into that talk about you know some of the steps and some of the things that you all have to do to get your finished product oh of course uh so our day starts at 5 a.m every morning uh that's when the stills go on and uh so if you want to make alcohol you need sugar that's the that's the key right so if you want to make whiskey like we do we make corn whiskey unaged and aged so our aged corn whiskey is actually a bourbon which will be coming out in the winter time uh, but if you're going to make whiskey, you got to convert starches in the grain to sugar. So the uh, yeast can eat it and make alcohol. So that's a whole process uh, that, you know, takes a good part of the day and uh, involves a little bit of chemistry and some enzymes and such. Uh, so basically, what you need, if you want to make some liquor, you need to start off with sugar. If you want to make whiskey, you need to convert that starch to sugar. Uh, once you're, once you have your sugar, it's going out to ferment for about, you know, a week and a half. And uh, once you have something that's, you know, kind of smells like wine, basically what it is is a corn wine, uh, then you can go ahead and distill it. We uh, we distill everything that we make twice. It's twice distilled in the uh, copper pot stills that we had built right up the road on Main Street at a Renee the Tenor Shop. Um, and it's all, like, it's all about taking your time. It's like cooking a gumbo. The slower you go, the better it's going to be. Um, and uh, so that, that that takes about that you know from start to finish for one batch of whiskey, each batch of whiskey is one ton of corn for us. Uh, you're looking at about two and a half weeks. Wow, that that's that's awesome to to you know. I know I've been you know in some different distilleries and to see it all the equipment or all the machinery and so you know how did um, the idea of you know hey we know how to do this that's one thing but then hey let's market this and turn it into a business. How did that idea come about? Well, we were fortunate because, you know, we, we have a we have a story. Uh, this isn't just a, a hobby or something that we're trying to impress upon people. We actually have kind of a pedigree in distilling. Uh, we've heard stories from our uncles uh, for a long time about how good our great-grandmother's moonshine was. And then, of course, we got to use our still, and we fired up that still. You know, we kind of fired up and it uh, just felt good. You know, so we're not really – it doesn't take much for us to sell it. Uh, you know, it's not a hard sell for us. You know, we're just telling our story. And uh, just keeping the tradition alive, and I feel like a lot of our customers appreciate that. And they also, when they come by the distillery, they see all the work we put into the building, which is a beautiful uh, Cypress Frame building, and uh, you know everything that we've done so far is labor of love, and I think it shows. 
You touched on the next question I was going to ask you. Your building looks like a Cajun culture museum. It is gorgeous. Talk about how long it took you guys to get it to look that way. Uh, did you kind of have a vision in mind for how you wanted it to look? Because I've seen the pictures on the internet. It's absolutely beautiful. Kudos to you all for getting it to look that way. Yeah. So fortunately for us, I mean, all we had to do is really expose it. Um, we we kind of heard through the grapevine that Bloom and Bajron, who built this building back in 1921, we're uh, going to be expanding their operations and we're looking to maybe sell their building. So, uh, I came knock on the door, introduced myself, told them, uh, you know, what we're looking to do about our family business and, you know, their family business too. So we kind of connected, visited with them for about a year. Uh, after that, just kind of checking in and eventually they said, all right, well, this will sell it to them. And once they did, they left us a whole bunch of cool stuff. So we quickly realized that, you know, we'll be creating a museum along with a distillery. And uh, we preserved a lot of that stuff they loved us because we felt we owed it to them. Yeah, um, no we doubt. We them proud. And it took about, from start to finish, about a year and a half of renovations. That's awesome. And, you know, the question that we're, you know, this is uh, primarily a sports show, but we, we tend to have business owners and different people around the community on as well, such as yourself. And the, the question we're asking everybody right now is, um, how has the pandemic affected your business? And And I'm talking in terms of, having the public in your building and then also in terms of, you know, getting the physical supplies. I know things are limited in some, you know, cases. How's the pandemic, you know, impacted you guys? Oh, it's, it, you know, it is just like everybody else. Uh, we had an avenue to actually, you know, stay working because we're considered essential. Uh, one, because we're a food manufacturing uh, facility technically, and two, that we're making hand sanitizer as well. So that opened up a kind of a new line of products that we never thought we could get into, uh, but we did. And the only part of our business that really stopped was the public aspect. Um, you know, let people in here on the weekends in our tasting room and let them see the place, and, you know, getting that face-to-face -face interaction, which is very important for us because we were only open for about a month before the COVID uh, shutdown started. So we're in a, like, kind of like the fledgling stage of our business where we needed to you know, get our name out there. So it definitely, you know, it set us back a little bit, but uh, we're still here. We're still rocking and rolling and still making whiskey. So you guys are, are you said, making hand sanitizer. Was that part of the plan or did that just become part of the plan whenever the world <laughs> shut down? No, no. Uh, so how that all started, uh, Miss Angela Gidry with the parish uh, approached us and asked us if we could do it. And I said, of course we could. She wants some for her first responders. And um, so by the time we made it, she got a back order in of hand sanitizer, didn't need it anymore. So we donated it to the public uh, through South Louisiana Seed, uh, right down the road from us. Uh, got a story written up about us. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, there was a parish mandate to have um, hand sanitizer in, your, in, in any commercial business that's open. And we were mentioned on that, on that notice to contact us for hand sanitizer. So our phone started ringing. I was like, well, I guess we'll be making this, you know, a lot more. So that's what we did. And we sold a little bit to the state, uh, to some businesses around here, and then also donated a whole bunch. So it was something that we never really thought we'd get into. Um, it's a little more intensive than making whiskey because you got to redistill it once more to uh, get that high proof for, our, uh, you know, the hand sanitizer. But uh, all in all, I mean, it wasn't too, too bad, too hard to make. And, uh, you know, crazy times. Sure. And and is there any type of, you know, training or anything that goes involved into needing to do this? Because, I mean, there's 
it, it's one thing, you know, to, to sit back and, you know, just be drinking whiskey with your pals. But there's a lot of science, as you said, that goes into this. There's a lot of machinery that goes into this. And I know it's something that runs in your family, but it's also, you know, something that you have to know what you're doing or you could, you know, mess some things up pretty badly. So talk about this, kind of the training that goes into making these products. All right. So we uh, we were making whiskey for about 10 years, me, my parent, and a couple of my cousins with my great grandmother still before we opened up. So we, we knew, we knew the science, the physics, the mechanics of general stilling, uh, the stilling. So, uh, you know, we, we had an idea where we we're going now to get a product that we wanted to, you know, market. It took a lot of trial and error. Uh, we designed our stills ourselves. We had to build locally. So we were very, you know, we have, we have a good intimate knowledge of our equipment. And then, Man, a lot of YouTube videos too. I mean, that's, that's just figuring out all those little different steps that you have to do to uh, to make a product that you, you know that's worthy of selling and something that you you want to put your name on. It just takes a lot of trial and error, a lot of uh, just figuring things out on the fly. But you know, and just a lot of time. That's that's the that's the base of it. So uh, we did have we did have some knowledge already. You know, like I said, ten years worth of uh, moonshining, and then just some fine tuning, and then. You know, from start to finish, this whole business venture took about seven years from when I started to write the business plan back in college. So I had a lot of time to think about it. Is it difficult to get that uniformity? Because, I mean, if you want to sell something to people, you know, whenever I buy a case of Coke, it's going to taste the same every single time. But whenever I'm in the kitchen mm-hmm. making a gumbo, the gumbo may be better one day than the next day. Is it difficult to get that uniformity and that, that consistency in the taste of your product? Well, we, uh, it's all about what you start with. So we get all our, all of our corn from Louisiana in the same place, uh, the Alexandria area. So we start off with the same ingredients, the same, uh, mix, you know, right down to the last pound. Uh, we, you know, we have a, we have a system that we follow through that, uh, you know, at certain temperatures at certain times, uh, we move on to the next step. So everything's as uniform as we can get. Um, Honestly, man, I drink whiskey all day. It's part of my job. I got to taste it. I got to smell it. <laughs> um, one of the coolest things about being a small batch distiller is that if you don't like something, you can throw it away. You know, you're not going to be wasting large volumes. We have a lot of control over the quality of our product because we're a small batch. And, uh, I mean, it's been, it's been pretty consistent. Um, I take, like I said, I drink a lot of it throughout the day. Uh, just to see where we're at, but so far so good. And I think as long as you start off with the same, the same ingredients, the same mix, the same processes, you're, you know, you're a product that's, you know, pretty consistent. Very good. And in terms of, you know, the products that you offer, do you have, you know, a couple of things or you know, give us a, a rundown of your product variety and, you know, maybe flavors or whatever that, that may be? So uh, right now we have our our first product out called Contraband, which is named after our great grandma's illicit operations. It's a clear corn whiskey. Uh, corn whiskey is the only whiskey you're allowed to sell unaged by the federal government, and that's because it's the most palatable of the unaged whiskeys. Uh, so it's 80 percent all Louisiana corn. Uh, we're the only distillery in, in the state that uh, has that distinction uh, from the Department of Ag. We're uh, certified Louisiana. Um, so we have our clear out right now. In a couple of months, we'll be coming out with a LA one last batch of LA one. Uh, for your listeners that might remember, Iron Touch Distillers uh, in Thibodeau, uh, they closed down, and we went and bought the last of their uh, whiskey from them. You know, so they had 26 barrels of LA one uh, aging in their barrel room, and we went 
bootleg that on a Friday night, and uh, Great Grandma was going to come out. So that'll be coming out this summer. And then our once that's all gone, our bourbon called Good Earth will be out in the wintertime. So it's our, our whiskey distillery. Uh, so we make corn whiskey. We'll have our uh, LA1 whiskey out this summer, and then our bourbon out in the wintertime. And, and where could they find you? I know I see on your website a couple of you know the local supermarkets have kind of picked you guys up. Where could they find you? Yeah, we're in the Tri-Pitch area currently. Uh, we are at Rouse's, Canada's, Marcel's, uh, Tommy's Stop and Go, if you're compared to Bobby Miller's, a few other little gas stations. But if you really want to fix them up besides coming here to get it directly, uh, your best bet would be, you know, go to Rouse's or Canada's, Marcel's. Very good. And in terms of, you know, public uh, viewing of the facility and everything like that, has that reopened? Have you guys gotten guidance? If it isn't reopened, when will it reopen? Yeah, we're back open. We're able to reopen. Um, so we're opening up today at 5 o'clock. Um, we'll be open all weekend to the public. So if anybody wants to come visit us, uh, feel free to come by. We do tours, tastings. We make cocktails. Uh, we're only allowed to sell what we make. So uh, we're making contraband cocktails. All so we have some for everybody. So if you feel like want to come hang out, see something cool, come on by. Sounds good. Well, Noah, look, thanks so much for the time, my friend, and uh, we'll be paying you a visit real soon, okay? All right. Thanks, Casey. Yes, sir. That was Noah Lerett with Bayou Terrebonne Distillers. Very interesting business. Go check those guys out. They do a wonderful job. I know I'll be, you know, I wasn't, that wasn't just lip service. I do plan to go visit them in the very near future. Let's catch a quick commercial break. I've been asked one million times, is the coronavirus getting worse? Are we seeing a second wave? People are worried. They're, you know, seeing numbers go up and up. We'll talk about that and more in the next segment of the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. What's up, guys? It's me again. I know you're getting tired of hearing me during the commercials, but I have another message, another very important thing I'd like to tell you. I'm doing this podcast on my own time, and it's 100% for you guys, our listeners, our readers, and everybody in LaFouche Parish who loves sports and who loves news as much as I do. So I cannot stress to you enough, if there's a guest that you want to hear, please let me know. I'll try to get them on. If there's a question that you have, please find me on social media at Casey underscore Jisclair at Twitter, JisclairCasey at gmail.com. Find a way to get a hold of me. I want this to be an interactive show, but I want you guys to participate and I want you guys to be part of the team. So please, if you have someone that you'd like for us to book, let us know so we can reach out to them. If you have a question, please let me know. I'm available 24-7. Don't take any days off. Please make sure that if you got something that you'd like for us to cover, that you let us know so that we could do the best for our awesome listeners. Coach Tim Rebo for his time. Uh, he gave us a great interview. I thank Noah Lerett with the Bayou Terrebonne Distillers for his time. Gave, gave us a great interview. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. We are going to be spending the final segment talking some COVID. Um, I know that there's some uneasy times and a lot of folks are kind of getting a little bit nervous. So we're going to break down the numbers and give sort of an honest 
representation of where we stand right now, um, where we're uh, trending and, and you know how some of the things are falling in terms of COVID. So right out of the gate, I'm gonna tell you guys, I ain't gonna lie to you, I've never lied to you before, our cases are going up in the state of Louisiana right now. Um, and, and they're also going up in Lafourche Parish and they're also going up in Southern Lafourche Parish, which is where a lot of our listeners of this podcast are located. Um, there are a couple of reasons perhaps for that. Um, the first one, um, more people are working and going out and about, uh, you know, more things are opened up and at greater capacity and, and this, that, and the other. Second, um, there are more knuckleheads who just aren't doing it anymore. They're, you know, they're not uh, giving a rat's patoot about anything. They're going to do what they want to do, not caring, um, not being cautious at all, and whatever happens, happens. And third, I think, you know, there's also uh, a mixture of, you know, protesting and, and different things that are going on around the world, special times, special situations. And, you know, I guess I'll give one more is, enhanced testing more people are being tested uh so while we are having more cases in terms of sheer numbers the percentage of positives amongst our caseload is staying about consistent um and usually they say that's an indicator that things are kind of steadied out a little bit so um as i said more cases locally uh lately um today louisiana reported 1288 new cases but they say that 560 of those were part of a backlog well, you do the math. That means that there's still 700 plus that were not part of the backlog. So that would be a pretty large day for us in normal times. So um, in terms of statewide numbers, 46,283 COVID cases have been reported. Um, that number has gone up quite a bit here in the last couple of days. Um, but one thing that has gone down is, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, uh, the death rate is now 2,891. So Whereas at one time we will see, we were seeing 30, 40, 50, 60, and even 70 to 80 people a day dying. Now on an average day, it's, you know, like nine to 11, nine to 15, you know, six or seven sometimes. So that number has steadied and dropped off tre uh, tremendously, which is great. Um, another thing that we're seeing is our hospitalizations continue to go down 542 people are in the hospital right now with COVID related ailments, 76 on ventilators. Um, so one thing that we're being told by medical professionals is that um, as more cases come in, fewer are becoming severe in nature. So why is that? Uh, the answers that we got, and you can read this all in a story that's posted on the foodsgazette.com, it's multifaceted. Medical professionals think that one, um, as, as we get the test results quicker, uh, we're able to get this diagnosis in and we we're able to start treatment quicker before you had to wait seven to ten days If not more to get your positive result now in one to two days at the most you're getting it So you're knowing right away that you got it. You could start treating it You could start quarantining which is you know able to to make you have a more successful outcome second thing is um, We've been doing this now for more than three months which means that doctors have experience in knowing the treatments that work the treatments that don't work you know how to handle these types of situations how to handle these types of patients and by doing that um, they're being able to develop protocol and by developing protocol they're able to better limit uh, the effects that patients are having and then the third is just the sheer numbers of the situation which are that the folks who are getting the virus now are younger in age by average than before and as we've told you throughout younger people 
are having less impacts than older people um, who are far more likely to have severe ailments. So uh, because of all of those things, we're continuing to see a rise in, in new cases daily, but a drop in hospitalizations, which is what it's all about. Um, slowing down the state economy was about maintaining room in our hospital systems, as we've said here ad nauseum, and that's continued. So, you know, we're going to continue to move forward, even with new cases, as long as that hospitalization number continues to drop. In Lafouche Parish right now, we are reporting, at the top, we pull up the map, we are reporting 968 COVID cases, 77 deaths. Uh, people have died. Um, so that number in terms of death has uh, stayed fairly steady. It goes up by a couple of week. The cases have gone up a little bit more in recent days as you know we continue to have that little uptick. Um, one of the, the, the causes for optimism, we like to find optimism here whenever we can. Um, our area, Region 3, is doing by far the best in terms of limiting the spread of the coronavirus and in terms of keeping patients out of the hospital. We have eight patients on ventilators in Region 3. That encompasses six parishes, y'all. That encompasses, encompasses Lafouche, Terrebonne, St. Mary, um, St. Uh, Assumption. Wait, let's, let's count this again. Lafouche, Terrebonne, St. Mary, Assumption, St. James, St. Charles, and St. John the Baptist. So that's a bunch of parishes to only have eight people total on ventilators and 112 ventilators available. That amounts to about 6% of our ventilators are in use. That average and that ratio is the best in the entire state right now by far. So we're doing a great job, and also a, a great job is shown in our ICU bedding. 31 ICU beds are in use in Region 3, 57 are available. We're the only region in the state of Louisiana who's not using more than half of our ICU beds, and we're not even close. We're at like 35%. So our region, even though we're having some scary times and this little uptick and people are afraid, and um, we're keeping people out of the hospital, which is, is a good sign that you know maybe... Uh, just maybe we're figuring out how to treat this. Maybe just maybe we're figuring out how to make this less of a serious thing for the folks in the state of Louisiana. Uh, but with all that being said, um, this is not a time to go and, you know, go to a rock concert. This is not a time to, you know, go and, and be French kissing everybody at the bar, at the restaurant. You know, you got to be cautious, maintain your social distance, only leave the house whenever it's fairly you know, necessary. Before, we would have said absolutely necessary, but now it's kind of loosened. You know, you could use greater judgment and greater discretion, um, but still you gotta be cautious because we don't want to give away the progress that we've maintained. Um, and we are still making progress. Let, let's not make any you know, qualms about that. We are still making progress. Hospitalization number continues to go down. We've just gotta continue to fight and continue to, to do the things that we need to do to get back to life as normal. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a couple of COVID questions and then we're going to put a bow on it on this Saturday afternoon. It's hot as heck out here. I'm, uh, I'm sweating and time to go inside. So we're going to wrap up after these questions are answered. The first question, Casey, are you concerned with the uptick in new local COVID cases? Um, I mean, a little bit, I guess. Uh, you, you look at the numbers and obviously you would rather the numbers be going down than up. Um, but I, I maintain this, and I've said this throughout the duration of this show, um, and I mean the duration of the entirety of this show, you know, from episode one until now, is the total number of cases doesn't matter. Um, the total number, if it goes up to, you know, 70,000, um, 
it's always going to keep going up. It's never going to go down. The most important number is the hospitalized uh, patients and the ventilator use because that is an accurate snapshot of how many people are actively suffering from this virus. Um, so that's, I think, a, a more clear picture of where we are. And even though the, the total cases daily have gone up a little bit, that snapshot in terms of the hospitals continues to be a good trend. You know, we're not going up drastically. We're not, in fact, we're still trending downward. So we're seeing progress there. So I'm not as concerned as I otherwise would be, um, though obviously, you know, we would, we would prefer to have, you know, just one or 200 cases as a state daily instead of five and 600 like we've been having. Uh, but we're seeing fewer serious cases. And in, in, in many ways, if we could, you know, if we would be able to guarantee that every case would be a minor one, then, you know, the, the more people that would have it, uh, the more herd immunity we would have. Obviously, we can't guarantee that. So we want to limit the spread until there's a vaccine. But it is good news that more people are getting just minorly sick as opposed to having major uh, ailments. Number two, do you believe that we will go back to phase one or lower because of the recent situation? No, I don't. Um, it would have to get drastically worse. We'd have to look at that hospitalized number starting to go into the thousands or, you know, get up to seven, eight hundred again uh, for that to even be considered. Um, flattening the curve meant it never meant getting our cases down to zero. It never in a million years meant getting our cases down to zero. We've kind of gotten this idea that that's what it was about, but it's a misnomer. And shame on us as a media for not explaining it correctly. But flattening the curve means spreading out the amount of months that the cases occur in. And we're, we're succeeding in doing that. And flattening the curve means maintaining your hospital bedding supply. And we're doing that. So we're continuing to meet all the criteria for moving forward. Um, now we've just got to continue to make that progress. And so far we are. So I don't believe unless if things get drastically worse that we're going to go backward. I don't, I don't see that happening. Number three, this is not a COVID question. This is a passionate question, though. This is a question that I wanted to talk about. What can be done to stop drownings on Grand Isle? Um, there have been more drownings on Grand Isle in the last two and a half months than there have been murders in Lafourche Parish. Think about that. And by a lot, too. There have been six drownings on Grand Isle in the last, since the COVID pandemic. Six. Six lives have been lost. Some of them children, some of them adults uh, that have been lost because in many cases, not all, but in many cases, people are swimming on the rock jetties when they shouldn't be. Um, I understand that there are signs warning people not to swim the rock jetties. I understand that there are rafts and, and different things out there to protect people. God bless Darby and Blue Boot and Corey and all the guys, the bourgeois family and everybody for the work that they're doing. God bless them all. But when you are having a repeat problem in the same place more has to be done and i understand now that that area of the beach is closed uh and it's been closed since crystal ball because in one part because the levee in that area is damaged and another part because of rip currents because of the rock jetties we've got to keep that area closed throughout the rest of the summer if, if we can't come up with a solution because i'm getting tired of being with my friends and my family and getting that text message from someone saying Someone just drowned on Grand Isle. You got to go to work. And I, 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 it sounds selfish of me to say that, and I don't mean it from a selfish place. I'll work whenever I have to work. I'll do whatever I have to do to inform our people. But to have such a preventable problem 
continue to occur over and over and over again and be a deadly problem that's taking healthy people away from us over and over and over again. We can't just be content to say, oh, well, there are signs there. You know, people shouldn't be silly. People should follow the signs. We have to do more. I don't know what it would be. I think it comes down to a combination of things. We've got to educate better. We've got to do more to inform people. But we can't be content to continually lose lives over and over again. And we just have to do better. Six people is, is six too many. That's six too many. And it's in a short amount of time. Um, as I said, when, when your drowning rate is greater than your murder rate, you've got a serious problem in your water. And we've got to figure out a way to stop that. I know we're in our internally in our offices talking about ways we could partner with Blue Boot and the island. And some of that we're going to try to announce in the coming days because we want to raise awareness. We're committed to, to doing whatever we can to win this fight. But more has to be done because right now we're losing the fight. We're losing people left and right. Every week we're losing people. And it just has to stop. We have to do better. Number four, back to COVID. If you're feeling symptoms of COVID-19, what do you do? Um, go get a test. And, and the first thing that you do when intending to go get a test is you call your doctor and you say, I'm having COVID symptoms, I'd like to be tested. You don't show up there and tell them I'm having COVID symptoms and I'd like to be tested. You call them beforehand because they're gonna have a very strict and very specific protocol for what you're going to need to do. You're gonna to have to meet them in a certain area. They're going to have to you know, instruct their nurses or their personnel to put on certain types of equipment. They're going to do things to protect themselves and also to protect you so that they can get this test uh, done and processed efficiently. So that's the first thing that you got to do is, is let your doctor know that you're feeling these symptoms and you want to get tested. The second thing is once the test is done, go home and rest. Don't go to Walmart. When you're feeling better two, three days later and your fever drops, don't go shopping. Don't go visit your neighbor. Don't go riding around the block or whatever. Rest. Because there have been many instances of this where people have reported feeling better after a couple of days and then ending up in the hospital. This is all about an infection where it's your body versus this virus. And this, lung, this virus is trying to attack your lungs. And you've got to keep strain off of your body so that you can protect your lungs. Lay in bed, rest, watch TV, watch Netflix. Don't do a damn thing. Because if you get up and you try to move too quickly, you're going to be naturally taxing your lungs while your lungs are under attack from a virus and potentially really bad things could happen. So rest, recover, and until you're out of your quarantine period, don't do a damn thing. That's the best advice I could give you that comes from medical professionals, that comes from people who have had the virus themselves. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to lay in bed for, for 10 days when you're not feeling too bad at the end of it. Lay in bed and rest. Use it as an opportunity if you're faithful, if you're, if you're spiritual. See it as an opportunity that, you know, God's giving you the blessing and the opportunity to slow down. That's the key to beating this thing is slowing down, not trying to do too much. Because if you put too much on your body, that added weight plus the, the, the toxins of the virus is going to wear you down and you're going to be in bad shape. Number five, last question. Are there any vitamins or supplements you could take to protect yourself from coronavirus? Um, to prevent yourself, no. I mean, you can't just take a magic pill and, and say you're not going to catch it. That's not how this works. Um, well, that's how a vaccine works, but some of you guys tell me you wouldn't take those either. So, uh, but anyway, my, my snarkiness aside, 
Um, no, there's not a magic button that you could press to prevent you from catching the virus, but there are some things you could do to where, you know, you could boost your immune system so that if the virus comes into your body, you're going to be ready to whoop its ass. You could take a multivitamin, you know, vitamin C supplements, vitamin D, um, you could exercise, you could strengthen your lungs while healthy. You could, you know, do things to, to, uh, enhance your mental health, you know, uh, meditation, affirmations, yoga, all of those things, anything that you would do to otherwise be healthy just in regular life are going to help you if you catch the virus because the virus in, you know, it, it hurts most to the people who are a, you know, pre-diagnosed conditions already unhealthy and be the elderly. And, and if you are staying active and staying fit and preventing yourself from getting any of those pre-diagnosed conditions, you're going to have a far better outcome should this get into your body. Last question, um, seeing reports of uh, football perhaps being altered in the fall, what are your thoughts? I've been asked this more than anything else. I have no idea. Um, I think there are going to be some limitations. I think the idea of there being a full Superdome is, is naive, especially considering that the mayor has already said that all events in the fall are canceled, including the Bayou Classic. I think the idea of there being a full Tiger Stadium is naive, um, but I also think that if we could separate people and distance people and spread them out that we could have some sort of semblance of normal uh, but it's probably not going to look the way that, that we're used to it looking and there are probably going to be some crazy things happening can i promise you that an entire nfl season not a single player is going to test positive i can't promise you that and, and how crazy would it be if before the the big playoff game if heaven for uh, heaven forbid alvin Kamara test positive and have to miss the game or heaven forbid Aaron Rodgers test positive and have to miss the game. Uh, same thing I say about the NBA. What happens if the Lakers are winning 3-2 to two in the Western Conference Finals and LeBron James, heaven forbid, test positive? There are going to be crazy things that are going to pop up, crazy storylines that are going to pop up, and it's going to be sad, but it's also going to make for very entertaining television. So we want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. We want to thank Coach Rebo for joining us. We want to thank Noah Lee Red for joining us. We had a great show today. We're going to be back in the middle of the week. We're going to continue to try to get the best guests, most timely guests. There's a lot of things going on. People are actually getting back to work. People are actually getting back to business athletically. So we're going to continue to try to grow. Go find us on iTunes. I can't stress that enough. Go find us on iTunes. We'll send the show straight to you. Won't have to do any more recruiting. We'll have you. And I got a feeling that once we have you, we're going to keep you. So keep it right here on Casey's Corner. We're going to sign off. Have a great weekend, y'all. The sun is out. It's hot. I've been recording this show outside for the last hour. I'm drenched in sweat. But go out and enjoy the sun. Uh, hey, sweating every once in a while ain't a bad thing. It, you know, it forces your body to, to learn how to you know, pump your heart faster. And that you know, leads to a healthier life. So go and enjoy some of that sun. Soak in some of that vitamin D. Have a great weekend. And use the momentum from your weekend to inspire a, a successful and productive work week. Let's, you know, I, I, I'm going to get philosophical here. And I don't mean to do that because I know we're short on time. But if we all would have short victories and small victories every single day, by the end of every week, those victories would get bigger and bigger and bigger. So don't take any success for granted, any progress for granted. Love yourself, love your neighbors, all that good stuff. Let's focus on having a great week. We're going to sign off right here. God bless everybody. Y'all take care. I got a long side burns and my hair slicked back. I'm coming to your town and my feet.